how much of ourselves can we inhabit mm, and feel and listen to and value thinking of body parts as friends as family not as these you know objects so embodiment is a process of inhabiting one's physical vessel welcome to the wild herbs podcast where we unpack and uncover the healing properties of wild herbs so you can heal naturally with the plants beneath your feet. I am your host, April Puncelon, wild untamed plant lady, also a botanist and ethnobotanist and herbalist dedicated to teaching you how to heal with plants. If you want to learn edible and medicinal plants, you are in the right place, my friend. I'm super excited today because you get to hear from Andrea Olson, a professor emerita of dance who held the john elder chair in environmental studies at middlebury college in vermont she's the author of four books including my favorite body and earth an experimental guide she's the recipient of a fulbright scholar award for new zealand and a certified teacher of holden qigong and embody yoga she currently performs and offers movement workshops internationally you could say Andrea is a free spirit dancing to the rhythm of life. So you're in for a real treat today and listening to this podcast. And I'm super honored, Andrea, that you took the time to come on the Wild Herb podcast today. So thank you. So there are so many things that I could ask you, and it was really hard to narrow it down. But, you know, as I mentioned, Body and Earth, your book is one of my favorite books, and it was one of my favorite college courses. And I want to start, I would love to start with just hearing, what is the body and earth connection? What is the body and the earth? I'm taking a deep breath, feeling my feet on the ground, trying to stretch up to the sky, make some space for, for where that question lands, because it's so fundamental and close to both of our hearts in terms of our work. I think I, I should start by saying I grew up on a farm in the Midwest. So to me, there was never a separation between body and earth. Mm -hmm. uh, I knew that the carrots grew from the soil and I knew that the air swirling around and the weather patterns were changing my moods and affecting my body. And, you know, so it, it wasn't... Um, it wasn't my path initially to try to explain to people that there was a oneness. <laughs> but through the years, my own passion was teaching anatomy, human anatomy, and also dancing and performing that transformational state that one accesses through performance. And in that process, I focused on the body for at least every book is 10 years. I, it takes me a decade. I think I'll finish in three and then hmm, it takes uh, longer because I write to discover, mm. not just to tell what I know. So each book is its own journey. And the first journey for me was really body stories, which was understanding not just a body, but my body. So personalizing the body. This is my pelvis. This is my elbow and making the body friend as opposed to object, objectification at all. And in that process, um, 
I realized that every part of the body is full of stories. And so it became a journey of both the science of the body, but also what stories are embedded in my wrist and what stories are embedded in my hip joint. Every body part was loaded with this really wonderful combination with memory and imagination and the present moment. So if I'm inhabiting my body at this moment, anything that I perceive is flooded by all of my experiences in my past. And then also, you know, what I'm imagining or projecting into the future. So body for me, the word body for me is inclusive of all the parts. It's our intellect, it's our physical body, it's our emotions, it's our energetic self, intuition, our intuitive self. However, one has divided the parts psychologically or emotionally or physically, when I say the word body, when I experience it in myself, it's a wholeness. So it's a concept as well as an experience mm -hmm. that one is approaching body as this um, wholeness that has much to teach us if we learn to listen. And much is happening below the cortical, the frontal lobe, below our conscious mind. We're, we're picking up so much uh, moment by moment, including information about nutrition, what we just ate, what we were breathing, how the water is flowing through our body. So that dialogue between our conscious mind and then all that we know and trying to really appreciate and sort of tease that apart. But then I published Body Stories and I moved to a wildlife sanctuary mm -hmm. and all my colleagues were scientists. So they were not interested in the body. They were <laughs> interested in plants and in the salamander and where the fish were migrating. And I, I married someone who's also very involved in both as an artist, but also in the science of place. So it changed my lens from focusing on body to focusing on how much the body is picking up moment by moment beyond what we think of as our physical. So it stopped being a skin layer and it started being a perceptual layer. So the line became, which I'm sure you read in, in the Body and Earth book, that our bones, breath, and blood are the minerals, air, and water inside us. Not separate, but same. Our bones, breath, and blood are the minerals, air, and water inside us. Not separate, but same. And that was very important to me because as a dancer, you tour internationally a lot. I was doing solo tours in Asia and visiting Africa, South America, a lot in Europe. And to recognize that when I arrived in a place, New Zealand, uh, wonderful Fulbright, when you arrive in a place that 70% of you, that's water, 70-ish percent, becomes the water of that place. And the plants you're eating and the nutrients you're eating become your bones and your tissues. So this idea that there's separation had to evaporate. But I was teaching in the environmental studies program and the students always call for what they need. And the students wanted some information about the body. A lot of them, they're out in the field, they're portaging canoes, they're, they're 
their bodies are, are uh, not necessarily uh, lovingly cared for. They care for the earth sometimes more than they care for their own self. So, so there was a request for a course that um, included both dynamics. But when I proposed the course at Middlebury, the ecology teacher came up and she said, I was calling it ecology and the body. And she said, she brought this big stack of books and on the top, there was a little typewritten note and it said, if there's no math in your course, it's not ecology. There is no connection between body. And so I, I proposed uh, to, the, to some conference on, I think it was a dance history scholars conference to do a lecture on body and earth. And I received this handwritten note back from them saying, it's a great idea that body has something to do with environment, but there's no research proving that body has any connection to earth. So I thought, wait, 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 wait a minute. <laughs> I've been assuming my whole life that people sort of had this wholeness about the interconnectedness of our globe, all the way to the cosmology, the impact on our endocrine system from the sun, the moon, the stars, the light, the dark. So I had to kind of start over in myself and find language that would, could be shared with my science colleagues. And fortunately, I was teaching with uh, Bill McKibben at Middlebury College, who's so involved in climate issues, and John Elder, wonderful, writer and about the environment and nature writer and i think created the norton anthology of nature writing so i had colleagues that were also articulating interconnected so i think you know this experience but when i feel an obstacle or a question like oh there is no connection that's motivation to write mm -hmm. and research and that was sort of the origin of the body and earth book which is how you language interconnectedness in a way that seems scientific enough but also is true to an embodied experience meaning what the body's actually feeling uh, moment by moment i applaud you because i was in a science department ecology environmental and field biology left brain right very analytical not thinking outside the box. This is the math. This is what you do. This is this plant name. This is that plant name. And then I had this opportunity. I love dance like you. And I was taking a minor in dance and it was my escape from all the rigorous brain work. And here comes your body and earth class. And I see it. Connie Scrater was teaching it at UNCA. And I thought, what a nice reprieve. And it was that reprieve from the heavy scientific world, but the way you weave the art and spirituality and science was is beautiful is beautiful and that is that is not an easy task to do i know how you felt because i have felt throughout my science career that my spirituality has kind of been like snuffed out like put out a little bit and that's why i enjoyed your book so much because i was able to express my love for science in a spiritual way in this holistic way and that felt very authentic and very, it resonated with me, my mind, body, and spirit. So thank you for that contribution. So you had this question, there is no connection, body connection to the earth. 
Um, and you wanted to help educate and highlight that, yes, there is. And why do you think the body and earth connection is so important to living an embodied life? To realize that, yes, we are the microcosm. And you say this in your book, the body is a microcosm of the macrocosm, the earth. Why is that so important for people, for young people to learn and for us to always remember that we are a reflection of the earth? There's, again, there's so many threads from that question. And my mind goes, <laughs> my mind body uh, goes many different directions. Why is it so important? Well, there's so much more research now than there was when I wrote Body and Earth. In the last 20 years, there's been so much research about the heart math solutions, you know, and how much you can measure interconnectedness. But so in a way, it's it's less essential in some ways now than it felt at the time. Although I, I do want to say that I understood, I understand now why there was a separation in ecology. And mm -hmm. uh, my colleague, John Elder, said, he called me into his office and he said, scientists use language to be specific and artists use it to be associative. And so as soon as you bring the body into the environmental studies programs, it's very easy for humans to dominate what's important. So social issues become dominant over environmental issues very quickly because humans consider ourselves the most important species. So how to keep the lens that the earth body itself is what we're part of and that how reminders about how we care, what makes us care. So I think you probably wrote a place story from the body and earth, remembering uh, an early an early place, drawing a map of it, writing stories about it. How do we begin to develop our relationship to caring for the earth? But then also the risk of caring because maybe your parents get divorced, maybe you lose your childhood room, maybe that tree gets cut down and turned into a parking lot. So within the body and earth course, one of the issues that came up a lot is breathing. And another is overwhelm. You start studying about the earth and there's so many disaster stories. Um, so part of the um, big picture, and I think in my work throughout, one of the important contributions or offerings I'm trying to make is how to change one's lens um, rather than being fixated on humans. <laughs> you can change your lens and be fixated on plants, or you can be you can open to the cosmology, or you can change your lens to be more inclusive of other people's other ways of experiencing the world. It seems in a way these days, it's very easy to get fixated on this is how things are mm -hmm. without either getting a larger perspective or maybe a more detailed perspective. How do like looking at what through your binoculars how do you change which lens you're looking through moment by moment so that our conversations with each other are interconnected and has more resilience and also there's a a sense even with all of the internet world and the, the global web i hear that people feel isolated and mm -hmm. so recognizing that you're a participant in this larger interconnectedness 
we are breathing in dialogue with the trees and the plants that there's no way that either one can survive without each other and the health of the water is so key as we know from our disaster stories around the world to our survival so these how do you change the lens and and part of that is are we allowed to have a lens for joy is it do we get just caught on the problems or can we also say okay at this moment i'm appreciating talking to april i'm appreciating that there's a web of people out there that have a shared caring for both earth and the integrity of the human body with as part of that earth body mind the whole whole person so i've had to rekindle my daily invitation for joy and sometimes because i love the nervous system and i study the nervous system so much it's like okay so the nervous system points okay i'm looking at this orchid on my on my desk and i have a sensation of enjoyment if i stay with that sensation of enjoyment the color the texture it escalates into the endocrine system mm-hmm. And becomes a whole body sensation of joy that is communicable to others around you. It's measurable. The energy fields are measurable. So part of that is timing, giving ourselves enough time so we don't have to just keep eating more food or doing more things or what's the next exercise class I get to go to. But here's a moment. I'm enjoying it. I'm going to actually embody it let it flow the endocrine system goes through the blood system mm-hmm. not the nervous system so it's such a partner to that scent that flooding sense of ease mm-hmm. that and balance that i think we're all in need of including myself every day it's a practice it's not something you do once and then okay i've got it so i don't know if that was what your question was aiming at but certainly in my life I also have to remind myself of skin to depth awareness inside, skin to depth awareness outside. And that's a lot. That's a lot to to be aware of at any moment, to be conscious that you're attending. I don't know if you would be willing to share with us a practice that you do, and then maybe you could share with us a guided practice so we could imagine going outside and doing like a simple five-minute practice sure so there's there's two things one is you know it's so easy i I walk on the beach at sunrise every morning Mm. and it's right you know it's close i'm in my family's trailer i've walked the same beach for 60 some years uh so that's something in itself again this weave of memories Mm -hmm. and you know imagination because i'm thinking about a new book and and then trying to stay present through sensation um so in terms of daily practices i at the moment have too many which is hard no but i do think it's important as you said and like my students said it's very important when I was teaching at Middlebury, to choose a place that you go, no matter what the weather is, 
So it's not just a nice day or a good mood, but you go sit wherever you're going to sit or stand or however you, you know, however much time you have and you want to do, do it. But some students felt much safer if they were on a bench and could hear traffic. Mm. Whereas, you know, our assumption is, oh, we're going to a wilderness place or we're going mm. to a beautiful place. But it's based on your own history with place. If you grew up in, in Brooklyn, New York, and that was a sign of love and comfort that you could hear traffic, that you, you know, felt the stability of buildings around you. So part of the importance is to find a place that has resonance with you, but then stick with it <laughs> so that it's constant and you change daily, you know, your, your experience. So right now, you know, I write every morning I have for at least 20 years. I, I throw away I, my husband and I burn these notebooks every 10 years because wow. I have so many. And there are a lot of thoughts that I, I do not want anyone to read after I die. So I wait, you know, that's a whole that's a whole practice in itself. But I still so I write every day and uh, I try to do Qigong every day. Mm -hmm. When I was teaching yoga, I did yoga every day. I went to a yoga conference once. I'll just share this story. And one of the teachers, he was asked the question, how do you become a yoga master? And he said, you do yoga every day for 10 years. And if you miss a day, you start counting over. Hmm. And it's fascinating because I took that story and I do, I have written every day. And as a dancer, of course, I did a ballet bar every day for at least 20 years. And you don't miss a day if you're touring or traveling. You do it in the bathroom, the kitchen, the living room, the bus. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, these daily practices are really embedded in me from my mm. own experience, first with, with dance and then with writing and with yoga and Qigong. I've transitioned from yoga because I hurt myself in yoga, mm. deep, deep twist, hurt my hip. I never got hurt in dance. but So Qigong is wonderful for me because it's a standing practice and it's really focused on energy moving can you feel it what's that life force that you first breathe in with your first breath when you arrive and if, if you've helped someone through the process of death you witness breath leaving the body hmm. it's very profound it's not an idea it's an experience that's frame a framework for our life so really valuing this life force which you can name different things whether it's prana and yoga or or chi and in, in qigong or some other practices but or the circulatory system if you want to you know or or the fascial system you, you can name it all kinds of different ways but practices that get you in touch with this fundamental flow in your body whether it's through writing so qigong is my third practice but it's a lot to get three full practices in, in the morning <laughs> Anyway, yes. that's a challenge. So here's the offering. So I'm walking on the beach and this we can imagine together. If you can think of, if you can imagine yourself, if you're listening in some place that's real to you, that you, you go often enough that, you know, it's smells, it's textures, it's contours, the plant life, the earth. 
under your feet. And your mind, of course, as you're in that place, I'm walking down the beach, still is the thinking mind is very busy. You know, it's going into planning and it goes into memory and it goes into the moment and maybe some judgment about all of that. But the attending to three things, this is the practice. So I'm walking down the beach, you're sitting in your place or standing. Three things that you see at this moment, really noticing. I see this. And I see this. And I see this. I won't name mine so you can have your own. And then continuing three things you hear. Waking up the layers of hearing. And sometimes if there's a lot of sound, I just take a deep breath and I can hear my own breath. At the ocean, it's pretty, pretty intense with hearing waves. Maybe the sound of your feet. And then three things you feel at this moment through your senses. Maybe feet to the ground, cloth to skin, air on skin. And then if your eyes are closed, you can open your eyes. Or if you're, you're just coming back into awareness that as you engage the actual senses in your body in the moment, the mind becomes present in the body. It's a body mind. Sometimes it can run off in other dimensions, but it's a, that's a very simple practice that I almost have to do every day to pull myself into the specificity of a moment. You can add smell. I'm sure you as an herbalist are so sensitive to the scents also around you or taste. But three sometimes is, is enough. And that's a practice that many people have done. I didn't I don't I didn't invent that practice. We all share our our practices that help us be present amidst the complexities of um, a very active energy absorbing brain, <laughs> which we appreciate, but it, it is not the only story going on. That was beautiful. It definitely, I definitely dropped more into my body. I closed my eyes as you were saying everything. And when you stopped, it was, I didn't even have any thoughts in my mind, really. I was thinking I had a question I wanted to ask you before uh -huh. you did it. And then I was like, well, I don't even know. So it definitely shifted my energy in just that short period of time. So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, and that would definitely, I'm hoping to lead a tea ceremony in forest bathing. So maybe I can incorporate that because I've been thinking about ways to help people drop into the environment, into their body more while they're drinking tea mindfully. And the forest bathing, I've read about it. I've never participated in one, but it seems like the the facilitators will do the practice that you just similar, where you just, you know, 
what do you see? What do you feel? What do you hear? What do you smell? And it's very, um, you know, simple, easy, gentle practice, but very effective. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, there's another very simple Qigong exercise that you can imagine re relative to forest bathing because um, when you stand and your feet are like the roots, if you swoop your arms forward toward a tree that you're actually looking at right now, I'm looking at a palm, and you take it up to the sky, up to the, the leaf tops, foliage, and then you bring it down to your own center. Mm -hmm. And then you take it down through your pelvis, knees, ankles, feet, earth, to the roots. And you just circle between the tree and you. And you're offering your flow toward it and it's coming back in. But they use that often, um, it's in, they use it in cancer treatments as a way to to consciously cycle because we are obviously in exchange with that tree. I mean, that's the oxygen we're breathing. And so to, to embody it uh, in a more conscious flowing way can, can be very simple rather than just imagining that. Mm, I love that. I love that practice. I'm going to try that today. It, that my mom hugs her trees. And one time I was telling her, you know, about something I was uh, troubled with. And she said, tell the trees, go outside and go sit on your trees and tell the trees. And then she'll hug them. And she's been learning herbal medicine too. And she's learning how to make medicine from the black cherry. And she kisses her tree and hugs yeah. her tree. And so she'll love this one. I will make sure that she listens to this one and maybe we'll do it together because yeah. uh, I can see my mom doing that. And actually she really wants to learn Qigong and Tai Chi and um, she's very attracted to it. So she didn't have found anybody. She lives in Norfolk, Virginia, but um, that practice is beautiful. And I definitely want to try that. I have two live oaks in the backyard that are gorgeous. And I have some, I'm restoring the yard, working with the yard working with the energy of the yard instead of trying to control the yard. Mm -hmm. So it's a very slow process. It's, it looks like a jungle back there. And so I have to slowly clear it out, but then, but in a mindful way, you know? Um, and so then I can see them a little bit better or connect with them a little bit better, go back there a little bit more. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for sharing that. And maybe a little bit of a selfish question. Um, you are a writer and you have this practice of walking on the beach. And you told me that you went to, you went to Florida to really focus on your book. But you wake up and you walk on the beach in the sunrise and then you write. What in you knows that you have to be that disciplined? You know, you have to wake up because I'm still struggling with that. Sometimes spirit will wake me up at four or five in the morning and mm. I'll go back to bed till 637. But I know that spirit wants me to wake up and that I need to do this Kundalini practice and then I need to write. But I, it, it's been kind of almost a little bit of a roller coaster where sometimes I do it, but sometimes I don't. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear if you have any tokens of wisdom in terms of how you knew that this this needed to be a practice for you um, to stay on your life journey and to contribute. Yes, actually, I write first. 
Oh, you write first. Okay. Yeah. Just, um, you know, these practices we learn. I did uh, Vipassana meditation years ago, three different 10 day retreats with SN Goenka. And um, they start at four in the morning. Mm. And so there's something about that magical hour and it, and being able to meditate for a full hour, which I, you know, practice through that. So somehow that transitioned into my writing practice where um, I call it my 5 a.m. affair, actually. I love it. <laughs> I get out of bed, leave my husband, you know, the dog stays in the other room and I slip into my own space and write first. But I think I use writing kind of as house cleaning. Mm -hmm. I write everything that happened yesterday. It's just like, oh, making sure that um, I remember. And then, you know, a theme will come and sometimes something really in-depth starts to happen. But often it's just a, it's like clearing the nervous system so that there can be an opening to something uh, and then if something does come and I put it in my handwritten journal and then I go walk time sort of to recover from writing so the movement is is sort of a way to integrate all this fiery nervous system activity and then the discipline for me is to make myself translate what I put in my journal that was important into the computer in the afternoon mm. that's what's hard to do that's beautiful like i've already experienced it i don't really want to but my graduate school teacher years ago dr john wilson i i had some big revelatory idea and i was supposed to be turning in a graduate school paper and i didn't i didn't write it and i i he said what do you mean you didn't write the paper for me and I said, well, I understood it. Why would I bother to write it? And he said, well, the writing is to communicate it to me, to someone else. So that feels like that afternoon. That was the shock to me. It's like, oh, it's all about me understanding some the layer of then translating that into a communicable language to others, to one person. But also for me, it's broader because I, I write for a, a specific population but also as inclusive as i can make it also across multi-languages the um, body and earth website that we have which is seven videos uh, where we're speaking through these practices in the landscape it's a wonderful resource but people can translate it in their own language and what i love is hearing uh, or seeing you know these words about embodiment in Chinese mm. or in traditional Chinese or in Persian. Someone's translating it into Persian right now, Greek, and wow! It's recognizing again that English isn't the only way that we communicate about the world. So it's another layer of uh, there's you know different cultures have so much more subtlety about certain words, like the Japanese translation. We were talking about touch. They've got like 20 different versions of, for the word touch. So, um, you know, it just, that's another layer is where, how do we 
language so we communicate with each other and how do we share embodiment language or the subtleties that you're experiencing valuing the different ways that the sounds convey experience from different languages Mm -hmm. it must be similar to the different languages the plants are speaking to us you know it's like there's so many different ways that language can occur the birds the dog the mm. again lenses you know like, mm -hmm. what language are we experiencing the world from a spanish teacher at middlebury once said when he came back from being in the war in vietnam he learned spanish so he could learn a different way of thinking needed to think in a different way after the trauma of the war mm -hmm. um, and that was interesting mm -hmm. to me because it really programs us in different ways and sound is so part of that that's so nothing to do with your question <laughs> <laughs> no you didn't answer my question which i was very impressed and actually i a lot of times I wake up in the morning and write. Like, I just want to go and write and read and just dive really deep into the plants and what I'm feeling and and what plant I really want to dive deep in that, in the morning. And then I like to work out. And a lot of times, sometimes I'll take a break and I'll just take my shoes off and walk around. Like, I call it a walkabout to ground. I'm very thankful that you shared your practice um, with me. And I know it is one of those things where I'm supposed to wake up at 4 or 5 a.m. when my body wakes up without the alarm clock. So you're inspiring me. So we'll see how I do. Um, but when you were talking, you shifted and started talking about embodiment. I looked up the word embodiment. What does it mean? What are these definitions? And there were all these different definitions of what is embodiment. I would love to hear your definition and how living embodied, you're able to connect and communicate maybe better. You're interconnected. So I would love to hear your take on what does embodiment mean to you? Again, I think there's three, at least three different tracks. One would be that embodiment is a process. It's a mm -hmm. lifelong process of inhabiting the body that you live in. And part of that is how much can you feel of yourself? When I see a beautiful dancer, it's almost like how many cells are engaged? Of the trillions of cells in the body, how many are awake? And in, in my own self, the body scanning and the, the constant um, learning of different body systems, da, 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 da. but it's how, how much of ourselves can we inhabit? Mm, and feel and listen to and value thinking of body parts as friends as family not as these you know objects <laughs> so embodiment is a process of inhabiting one's physical vessel and then it's a concept because i think it's essential that we recognize that embodiment is not just the body it's the perceptual system that links us as far out as you can go into the cosmology and as deep inside to the subatomic particles and the vibratory transformational states. So the one of the differences that I bring are the body and earth work and body and earth international work that we continue to teach through these years is that body includes earth. We are 
part of the body of earth. So embodiment is also in inhabiting the earth. Uh, however far out there you can stretch your experience, there's our atmosphere and then there, there is the impact of the sun, the moon, the solar systems, the home, affecting our endocrine system, which as you're interested in moods and why we so need to be outdoors and change from electric lights to real light, dark, oxygenate moods, they get stuck. You, the hormones mm -hmm. in the body get stuck if you don't move. They, they move through the circulatory system. And if you're not moving, they get stuck. You know, my mother taught first grade and she taught me that if you can teach a child to skip, you can teach them to read. And then she also taught me and I've experienced teaching beginning dance forever. It's almost impossible to stay in a bad mood and skip. Mm. Really ought to try it. It's just one of those things that the movement itself <laughs> changes the chemistry. Um, so anyway, moods are so impacted by our engagement with this whole body. Humans, you know, the body is not just this skin in it's also all the perception that and the electromagnetic fields and mm, it's a web it goes way out there mm. so that's the concept you know it's you almost have to think it because it's big we feel so self-important sometimes but really it's we're part of this we're exchanging breath the same molecules for breathing that people have always experienced there's no new molecules. <laughs> Same water that Cleopatra drank. I love imagining that. And the dinosaurs. Yes, uh, that's what my friend says. Yeah. So uh, it it makes you feel embodiment is so much bigger when you bring in the environmental heritage that we're part of. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. Yeah, I I think embodiment is is so important because i you know i'm a thinker and have a lot of fire and air you know pitta vata all the things and i can forget about my body and i am leading too much with my head and all this yang energy and so one of the practice i had to do to really get into my body was to walk barefoot on the beach with my eyes closed mm. and just to feel and to drop into my heart and so this last year, 2023 and 2024 is more about feeling. And then my word for this year is love. And like just to feel and to love my body and to try and heal it. And I realized I could heal my body if I was living more embodied and, and really feeling and listening. And of course, being out in nature a lot more, being out in the earth. And you, um, you know, I was reading your book and you talk about how we're interlinked with the universe and this unfolding evolutionary process. And I love that we're interlinked with the universe and the earth in this unfolding evolutionary process. And I always say that my goal in life is to teach plants, I would teach to reconnect plants and humans so they can continue to co-evolve. And when you are living embodied and you're outside and you're open when you're mindful to your life force energy and the life force energy outside of you, healing occurs. And there's all this talk about, you know, earthing, the electromagnetic field, 
and the earth. And have you felt that when you're outside doing Qigong, energy coming up through your feet or that electromagnetic field and the cosmos and, and why that's important for us to connect with this global atmosphere electrical circuit? It's scientific, but it's also, I feel, very a spiritual practice of, of being outside and connecting but then that the scientist part of me loves to think about there's these electrons that are streaming from the earth and in the cosmos. And when we're embodied, can we pick up on those more? Well, you can, you can go way back to the beginning of your statement about healing your body. And you might just reverse it that the body can heal you. Mm. Because there's so much ancient knowledge from our evolutionary heritage that wants homeostasis in the body in relation to the specific environment you live in. And oftentimes it's our it's our patterning that's interrupted that that organic uh, ease ease homeostasis. So, you know, again, it's concepts, it's languaging um it's languaging. Language is, is, is something, isn't it? It is. It is something. And I think, too, that we can get hung up on that part because I think I'm always trying to analyze things and I'm always trying to figure things out that sometimes I don't need to, that I just need to feel and to be. And then all of a sudden things will reveal themselves in, in a more profound way, in a, in a more natural way. So I'm learning that. I'm learning to let go and just to let, just to be like a filter, like a sponge, you know, on the earth or in the sea. <laughs> it's, also why, it's also why we have friends and really good colleagues because um, we can't all have all the qualities up front. So a more thinky person has a lot to offer. Someone who's more intuitive and our really embodied people that are just so in their bodies can offer something to mm. those of us who have more intuitive ideas all over the place. I do feel like our colleagues have everything to do with the quality of what we make. And of course, our colleagues mm -hmm. are the plants and animals as well. It's not just humans, but the human ones are pretty important. So it's nice to feel you as a colleague. Aww. And uh, yeah, we're Thank in this you. together and everyone who's out there listening is we're all contributing our own unique skills as well as our our vacant places that that's why we're alive. So we can continue to grow and offer. Well, I appreciate you sharing with us today and I asked you when I first contacted you, you know that I really want to teach a body and earth, maybe just four or five classes. So I would love to receive your blessing if that's okay. I want that that opportunity for other people to just do these practices that help them come into their body and connect with the earth in such an organic, natural, holistic way. So as you said, so the body can heal you. And I love that. I love that statement. So if that's okay with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be honored. There are students around the globe who, who, who get cohorts together and really work through the book. And I, I think the videos are, are quite helpful. 
Mm. I'd like to add mm. an endocrine one to the videos. Where it's, are the videos? It's just body-earth.org. Okay. Uh, and there's seven somatic practices. Mm. And then there's translations into, I think, different, 12 different languages. One of the things that's nice about them is that you get talked through an experience. Mm. And so they're, they're, they're a good resource for sharing. Oh, definitely. We are, we are doing, um, this is the 20th anniversary of the Body and Earth work. So we're, we're doing a 2024-25 workshop series globally in different countries. We'll be in Italy and June and different places. So there's a new website for that. I'd have to see what it is. It's so new that I don't even know what it is. <laughs> but it's just, it's workshop experiences where people can come together and, and mm. do this work, Body and Earth International. I'm definitely going to have to come to one one day. That would be so fun to meet you in person. I just want to say thank you so much for your time and sharing your wisdom. It's been such a joy to connect with you and... I feel like you've given me already so much through your your book. And now today I have all these little gold nuggets. And I know that you listening have some gold nuggets too. So I hope that you do the embodiment practice that Andrea shared with you and also the tree qigong practice. How can people, I know that you just said this, but I would love to just say it this way. How can people stay in touch with you? How can people connect with you? Probably the Andrea-Olson dot, ooh, I think it's a com. I think most things on my website, my personal website, link to other things. Okay. Um, but, you know, the books are all on Amazon, even though it'd be better if they're in your local bookstore. But it's it's not hard to find. If you look up Body and Earth or you look up Andrea Olson, things pop up. Well, I will definitely put links at the bottom of the show notes. So go to the bottom of the show notes and I'll put a link to the body and earth practices that Andrea has crafted with her colleagues. And then I'll also put a link to your website because you do have, if you go to about Andrea at the bottom, she has a TEDx talk that she gave and it is amazing. I loved it. And so definitely take the time to watch that and dive a little deeper and Google body and earth and experimental guide. And thank you again so much for your time and energy. And I look forward to connecting with you in person. And I just want to, I could just say thank you 10 times. <laughs> well, thank you. I want to, I'll come visit your home site. Yes, I would love that. Come to Charleston. Bye. Bye. Bye now. Take care. Blessings. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Andrea as much as I did. Definitely take the time to dive a little bit deeper with her work and her contributions and stay wild.